Hello there, it's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, and with me as always, destination unknown, Ruby, 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 Soho, it's Anthony James. <laughs> Gunslinging around the world. That's what I was going to <laughs> my, my introduction there will only make sense to anyone who has seen AEW's most recent pay-per-view all out. Everyone else, it's a rancid song. That's as much as you're getting. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's, I think it's funny. Like, uh, yeah, I, I'm tempted to talk about that now, but I'll, 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 I'll refrain. I'll refrain. But uh, but yeah, no, no, uh, doing very, very well. I did also watch it. It was good fun. And um, looking forward to talking about some movies, Conrad. What about you? Uh, I am also looking forward to, to talking about some movies, uh, principal among which is uh, Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. We came here for an effing shootout, to quote Tom Hardy in, what was it called, Legend, that movie where he played the Cray Twins, um, th- that he says that yeah, in it. Sure. He's he's a lot more he's a lot more Cockney than I am, but um, but uh, yeah, lots of shooting out will, will be done in our discussion of uh, Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. Uh, we've got some interesting uh, ideas proposed by Wonder Woman eighty four director Patty Jenkins. Uh, she's basically annoyed the internet, and we're going to have a look at that. Okay. And we are back with another box office bonanza. So I say, let's talk about some gosh darn movies. Let's ding dang do it. Movies. The Wire isn't one, but we're going to talk about it for the next five minutes or so because, uh, very sadly, uh, we found out this week that Michael K. Williams, star of The Wire and loads of other stuff, uh, passed away this week. Anthony, have you seen The Wire? I can't remember if you have or not. I have not. Sacrilegious, I know. Kick him off the podcast. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. It's a movie podcast. <laughs> it is a movie podcast. That's true. But we're going to talk about the wire. It's it's prestige television. The lines between mm-hmm. tele between television and movies have never been more blurred than they are now. And also were in two thousand and two when the wire came out. I don't know where I'm going with this. Basically. The, the Wire is a phenomenal TV show and um, Omar Little, the character that Michael K. Williams played in that, is a pretty formative character for me. He, he has like, he's essentially like a kind of Baltimore modern Robin Hood style character and is one of the most quotable kind of anti-heroes um, in any TV show that I think I've ever seen. Uh, he essentially robs drug dealers um, and is easily one of my favourite TV characters ever. Okay. Um and I think important to note about Omar as well is that he's probably... I'm trying to think whether this is the case as I say it, but he's probably one of the best representations of non-heterosexual characters that I've ever come across. Particularly in 2002, when I think it's safe to say the world was a very different place in 2002 mm-hmm. when it came to come uh, comes to representation of uh, of, of gay or, or, or bisexual characters. Um, Omar is is gay, I believe, but it's never... I feel like in a lot of stuff in 2002, and even later than that, to be honest, if a character was gay, that was like the defining characteristic mm-hmm. yeah. of their character. Um, and he were, his his sexuality was very much incidental to who he was. He was he was also like a badass who robbed drug dealers and had amazing 
rivalries with Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell in that series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt very, very important for the time. Um, and the image of, uh, or the, the, the footage of Omar rolling down the street with a sawn-off shotgun whistling nursery rhymes as he robs drug dealers <laughs> has stayed with me for some time. Um, and he also played Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire, which is admittedly a series that I watched a bit less of because I got a bit bored of it. Mm-hmm. But he was great in that as well. No pun intended. No, I, th- I, I as I recall, that is brought up at some point. Um, How the, bored the... you were of Boardwalk Empire? Oh, I see. I thought you were making a play on words on his name. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was bored. Yeah, Boardwalk Empire. I was bored and walked walked away, away from <laughs> it uh, after a season or two. I'm gonna say um, he was also mo- most recently um, in a show. I don't know if you saw this, but I think I might have recommended it to you to called Love Lovecraft Country, which is kind of like. It's not a perfect show, but it's a really cool like reimagining of the Lovecraft mythos yeah. and kind of repositions it as um, a story of like a black family making their way across America. And there are monsters and Lovecraftian stuff is happening, but the the kind of the covert or sometimes overt racism of America in the in the fifties and sixties is the main kind of villain of the show. You know that that you're mm-hmm. just as likely to get chased out of town by cops for simply driving while black as you are to get eaten by a werewolf looking monster it was a it was a really good show to be honest i didn't uh, watch it yet i remember you recommended it to me and also uh brent the middleman who uh is a frequent commenter on this channel on his channel he has actually went through the show episode by episode to anyone who's interested in that i i really want to watch it though because i'm a big big fan of you remember jonathan majors who was in loki and as well yeah. as he's in the black man uh, last black man in san francisco as well yeah, it, it's well worth checking out. As I said, I don't, I don't think it's perfect, but um, it is, um, it, it is still very, very good. And I like anything that can kind of sand the edges off of Lovecraft, let's say, because I, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in Lovecraft, but it's kind of impossible to escape the Orientalism and otherness, and sometimes just outright racism of Lovecraft's writing, which is pretty bad even at the time that he was writing it so to see something kind of re- reframe it um as as a as a story about about race is is really fascinating um but yeah so michael k williams he was in a bunch of stuff if you haven't seen the wire anthony you should go and check it out because it's probably the best cop show i mean i hesitate to even call it a cop show really because it's about so much more than that but probably the best cop show i have ever seen okay maybe i will then i, I am a fan of cop shows so I will. I will give it a go. It's. It was funny when we went. We were going through a rewatch. We're actually on season four at the moment. Okay. And um, my partner is also a fan of like the CSI, yeah. CSI or Law and Order or whatever, um, which I don't like. And it's so funny going from Law and Order to The Wire and back again <laughs> because like in The Wire there is maybe like one moment. I think I might have even said that this on this podcast before. But there is like one moment in the in, in an entire season of The Wire where they're like trying to catch up with a suspect and he runs from the scene as the plan you know as a chase sequence yeah, and yeah, that yeah. literally happens every single episode in law and order <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you can set your watch to it around the half hour mark a suspect is going to book it through some alleyways and they have to they have to chase him well, those um, are those are very much rinse and repeat those uh those shows yes. quentin tarantino's a uh, couple episodes of csi uh, i've said before were fantastic and you should watch them yeah, I, I, I still, I always forget that he did that. Um, I should check those out as a, as a, as a self-anointed 
film fan i feel like it i owe it to myself to to, to see that um but yeah so michael k williams very sad to hear, hear that he's passed go and check out his stuff there is so much good work that he did um now from uh, a very sad but but positive uh, story about someone's amazing work that they left behind to patty jenkins director of wonder woman and wonder woman 84 and i'm trying to remember what else she's directed she's directed a few things at this point she's annoyed the internet anthony Okay. She's Ow. got. She's she's Not gone again. and done it. She's gone Not and again. done it. She's she's so uh, she's fresh off the heartbreak of the not very good Wonder Woman eighty four flopping at the box office, and it's Wonder Woman eighty four. I don't think it was helped by the fact it was delayed multiple times and then had a split release between cinemas and HBO Max. But the fact remains, mm. it's not a good movie. They could have released that the first time they were planning to release it and just had it in cinemas and it still wouldn't have been a good movie. But Patty yeah. Jenkins, I, I, th- I think kind of partially um, as a response to that split release, which we have seen some people kind of complain about those in the past yeah. past few weeks, she has kind of jumped on the sort of Martin Scorsese bandwagon uh, in terms of qualifying what real movies are uh, by by saying the following. Um, and I'll be interested to see if you agree with this. So uh, she said, all of the films that streaming services are putting out, I'm sorry, they look like fake movies to me. I don't hear about them. I don't read about them. It's not working as a model for establishing legendary greatness. Um, so, I mean, what's what's your gut feeling? Your sort of uh, gut response to that? I this is this is mm, inter- it's a very interesting point. We are in a moment now where it's very mucky the lines mm. of what is a streaming service release and what is a cinema release because of COVID were very in a very mucky moment. I think two years ago, I'm going I'm to put my head two years ago before this whole thing and let's just think about like Netflix films and Prime films before there was any talk of one, they them being in cinemas to be nominated for Oscars and two, mm. uh, big, big budget uh, theatrical releases being released only on streaming services. Okay, so it's before yeah. all that muddiness. I think I agree with her then. Uh, I, 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 well, I hesitate to say that, but I honestly, not that I don't enjoy films made by like Netflix, like original films, like I do enjoy them, but I think there is a, I think there is kind of like a, a slight lack of theatricality to them. I, I, yeah, I, I think that, I think that she is right in saying that now, whether they're not like, they're still real movies. Like, you know, yeah. that's, 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 <laughs> like that's a bit, it's, she, but she's being hyperbolic. Like she's, like we yeah. have to give her the credit of being hyperbolic and just talk about the actual point that she's yeah. making. And she is making kind of an off the cuff remark, yeah. uh, in the wake of seeing something, which even though it wasn't very good, she presumably works very hard on, mm-hmm. um, and had its financial potential kind of cut out from underneath it by the split release on streaming services and in cinemas, I guess. Um, I I think there's two there, there's two points or two ways in which I think you can read this that are valid. One I think it's indisputable to me that um movies released mainly on streaming services are do seem to struggle to kind of become part of the wider cultural conversation yeah. in the same way as a big theatrical release. Now I don't know if that's a perception or a prestige thing or just because people aren't watching them at the same time. Um but you definitely don't get those conversations about about movies that, that that launch on streaming services in the same way that you would do an Avengers movie that comes out in cinemas or, mm-hmm. or 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 something like that. So I think 
I think that's true. And I think to your point as well, <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that about 80% of the movies that are released for Netflix and streaming services are actually shit. Like they're not <laughs> they're not good movies. Doesn't mean they're fake movies, but yeah. but there is definitely a lower benchmark for quality in a lot of those streaming services where they just want content. They want stuff yep. that they can fill their libraries with. Um I think calling them fake movies is a little much though and i also find it quite funny that the irishman came out on on netflix it did get a limited theatrical release as well but so patty jenkins has actually in kind of taking the baton from martin scorsese she's actually kind of reached back and punched him in the face <laughs> yeah, as great. as that's she great. as she's taken it say no no the irishman doesn't count it's a fucking fake movie martin yeah. get back to making movies in the cinema you you fake um i agree which is, with her I, I i agree with i i i'm gonna be honest with you, i agree with her i i do, I do agree okay. with her. i i think that when people speak hyperbolically it's very easy just to condemn the language rather than look at the point yeah. and i yeah. think that if we were to sit here and say if we actually are seriously sitting here and talking about it and, and our conclusion is that maybe she shouldn't have went so hard no 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 she's being hyperbolic we need to look at the point i honestly think that she's making a good point Whenever Netflix and Prime release films that are only for their for their platforms, they are watched in the first week and then forgotten about. Whenever films are in the cinema, they're in the cinema for a month, month and a half, two months sometimes, they get into the zeitgeist of the community more. Mm. And I think that's a really good point, and it's something that maybe needs to be looked at. Because there's a film coming out um, in the next sort of six months to a year called The School of Good and Evil, and, that, and Netflix is kind of viewing this as their, as their, their Harry Potter, for example. 100% hmm. people are going to watch it. Maybe book readers will, will cling on to it a little bit. But people are going to watch it and they're going to move on. We're not like You're not going to get a Harry Potter through Netflix these days. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see how it could happen. I mean, I'd love, I'd love for us to, to be proven wrong and maybe Disney Plus is the thing that's going to do that because it's it's feasible yeah. mandalorian um, is the standard test of time you know it, it, they are, yeah but they also are adding to existing worlds like if they were to create a brand new aspect of their you know business and then only start would it catch on in the same way i'm not sure yeah. like I, like yeah like that like that uh justin roiland um alien uh comedy animation on disney plus no one cares about that you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't even know what that is, but that's yeah. Um, yeah it goes to, it goes to show you exactly exactly the level of kind of cultural conversation we are talking about in terms of things not being spoken about. And this, mm -hmm. it is a shame because there's good stuff on a lot of those streaming services that is made for them, but it just mm -hmm. maybe it's because there's too much content to consume, so it's hard to kind of pick out the um, pick out the gems. Uh, and, and funnily enough, Uncut Gems is a great example of a movie yeah. that um, that was fantastic and had a bit of buzz around it but not not as much as it probably would have if it had hit cinemas um everyone, so I has, do a, everyone has a watch list it's 50 to 100 to a thousand oh. things long and so whenever i recommend so say if i watch a brand new film like oh my god it's amazing you should watch it people are like yeah okay well then the next time they go to netflix they have this list of a thousand things yeah, yeah. i try to prune mine every few months and it's just like I, I I can't. Th there's so many things that I'm quite a little bit interested in watching, mm. but but you just you get a decision or or, or um, paralysis from the number of options that you have yeah. available to you. Yeah. I think. Um, so yeah, there you go. Netflix movies, fake movies. We've confirmed that. Patty Jenkins, <laughs> we agree with you. <clears throat> the only fake thing around here, though, around these parts, 
as Anthony well knows, is my enthusiasm for the game show segments that I force myself to go through. <laughs> but as a true professional, I'm going to press on now. We're going to move on from Patty Jenkins into another exciting edition of Conrad's Box Office Bonanza. I genuinely love this. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boy. Hello and welcome to Conrad's Box Office Bonanza. Um, This is the exciting game show segment where I have selected five, not ten this time, because I didn't realise how long the segment was going, five movies from a given year. And Anthony needs to guess, in the style of The Price is Right, whether they grossed higher or lower than the subsequent movie, and that's internationally. Uh, The answers are all in dollary dues, and we will subtract a point for each incorrect answer. And for the first answer, Anthony needs to try and get within five million of the international, international box office. This week's year is 1977 it's the furthest back we've gone it was the year when the world was introduced to a galaxy far far away anthony are you ready for conrad's box office bonanza i'm ready okay here we go so the first movie you're going to need to try and get within five million of this first movie from 1977 is saturday night fever oh thank god i thought you were gonna say star wars uh I, can I, for Saturday Night Fever, I've never seen Saturday Night Fever. I feel like I mainly know this movie from it being spoofed in other movies. <laughs> yeah. like, when uh, I think yeah. of Saturday Night Fever, I think of the sequence in Airplane where they make fun of it. Ironically, John Travolta can fly planes. Can he? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a pilot, and he can also direct. Oh. He can also direct them. They he should have he should have been in <laughs> should have been in an airplane then. What a, uh, what a missed opportunity. Love it, love it. Uh, okay, so... Uh, oh, I understand. Yeah, that was a good joke. I've yeah. just realised that that <laughs> yeah. was a gag. It was hilarious! Okay. <laughs> I was dancing for the audio listeners. Yep. Uh, yep, okay. Yep. All right, so I am going to go for... Um, uh, this is hard. I'm going to go... It 77. Is. I'm going to go for... 77 million. Oh, it's lovely. It, like, it's kind of a kind of a, a bingo style uh, answer you've gone for there. Like just just funny numbers that you can make mon- make funny answers out of. Um, it wasn't seventy seven million. It was in fact two hundred eighty two million four hundred thousand. Saturday Night Fe- Fever was a smash success. Smash and that, success? that that's smash at it. the time. That's not even adjusted. No, I don't think that's adjusted. So uh, that's it made mental. a lot of money. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, John Travolta—he was a big deal in the late seventies. He didn't I get th- grease for nothing. I think I'm underestimating, like, or overestimating how much inflation has been. <laughs> like, all I'm thinking yeah. of is that all these old people saying, "I bought a house for fifteen thousand." Yeah, pounds. yeah. You know, <laughs> in nineteen dickety two, yeah. we <laughs> Gone with the Wind made thirty dollars at the box yeah. office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking far too much into this. I've seen this view it like it's modern day, and I'm going to get closer. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, yeah. um, okay, so it's not a great start, but we'll see if you can catch up. The next film. It's one of my favourite childhood movies. Actually, this entire series of movies are all amazing, but this is one of my favourite ones. It is Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, one of the uh, Ray Harryhausen animations. It's got saber-toothed tigers, it's got troglodytes, it's yeah. got metal bull men. How much do you think, or do you think uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger made more or less than $282 million? 
Okay, before I say that, I want to apologize to our listeners born in 77 or before. Us doing those voices probably annoyed you. Uh, okay. It was only um, 10 years before I was born. Like, I, I listen, I've got no right to judge. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. Um, okay, this is, I, I'm going to go lower. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go around, around the roundabout. <laughs> what I happened tra- there? I was what act- was that? I, I was I started I started a saying and I didn't know what I was doing so I just like continued yeah. and then I then I then I really got panicked because I was like yeah my whole point is that I'm trying not to say it for, <laughs> like for a long time and then it was like this is turning into very long and now look at me I'm speaking for thirty seconds I love now. that that's great you were desperately looking for the off ramp on that on that <laughs> yeah, I, and I, 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 I would I wouldn't let you have it I was like no you 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 finish this I you was find like Matthew your off Broderick. you know Matthew Broderick is evil Inspector Gadget yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A reference I'm sure all of our younger listeners will love. <laughs> um, you did you wait? Did you say lower? I can't even remember what answer you gave. Now lower. You are absolutely right. Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, um, as as is the case with a lot of Harryhausen animations, beloved, but only made 16 million at the box office. So uh, still still a decent success by by the standards of its budget but nowhere near saturday night fever um now this this next one if you don't get this this is going to be another anthony's off the podcast kind of kind of answer so third movie (laughs) third movie from 1977 it is of course the highest grossing movie of the year i shouldn't have said that because i've given it away star Star wars episode four a new hope do you think that made more or less than sinbad and the eye of the tiger (laughs) Well, uh, I know it made more. I would say I'm saying higher, but also I think this is like maybe this is just like people in documentaries talking bollocks to make a point in the documentary. But is this the first like blockbuster? I think people say that like this first time like people were like lining up along the block to see a film. I'm sure um, that's wrong. Maybe that's just people in documentaries thinking like it was the first blockbuster. I tell you, and it was you know it wasn't actually. It was. I mean, I think most people will tell you that Steven Spielberg kind of reinvented the blockbuster with Jaws which I think was 72 and then right. there was and then there was sort of he and uh, a sequence of other directors would kind of like trade blockbusters but I mean Star Wars A New Hope made 775 million 398,007 dollars imagine being that seven dollars at the end there like you're the last person to see it and just like yeah. just tick that up past a nice round number um that's actually really funny every film that's ever been in the cinema has had a last person to buy a ticket yeah that's weird yeah, that's yeah. weird to think about that was probably like a, a year ago in some kind of like independent cinema yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in in like bumfuck nebraska or whatever but they've only they've only just got it that is I don't know correct any- <laughs> actually yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sure bumfuck nebraska love stuff no i'm just kidding uh, i'm pr- i'm pretty sure that number includes like all the way up like that's been shown so many times extra yeah. you know well it's, it's why uh, adjusted for inflation gone with the wind is still one of the highest grossing movies of all time because that movie has been repeated and like relicensed in cinemas so many goddamn times mm-hmm. over the years that are, that it's still making money um yes i did kind of give it away but frankly if you couldn't get the star wars and you hope was the highest grossing movie of this year what are you even doing um <laughs> It was definitely a blockbuster. I don't know. It de- definitely wasn't the first ever blockbuster, and it certainly wasn't the first of like the kind of reincarnation of the blockbuster that was Jaws. But um, I've fallen down the hyperbole trap, Conrad, just like all those yep. people. But I think I I suspect I actually don't know how much Jaws made, but I suspect it was orders of magnitude less than Star Wars. Star Wars was oh. Oh, yeah. uh, pretty important, as it turns out. 
culturally. Yeah. Okay, so you kind of know the answer to this next one anyway, but it's just fun to hear how much it made. Um, the next one is one of my favourite movies. Uh, it's it's a star-studded war movie. It is A Bridge Too Far. Do you think A Bridge Too Far made more or less than Star Wars A New Hope? More, less. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go less. Yes, uh, it made it made like a hundred times, or over a hundred times less, or ten times less. Actually, <laughs> sorry, not a hundred times less. Uh, it made fifty million eight hundred thousand. It's a great movie. I actually don't know how much it cost, but holy shit! When you talk about star-studded casts, mm. uh, a bridge too far has got one. Uh, easily one of my favorite war movies. Okay. Last one. So you're doing you're doing well. You're on three, three for five. So and and my that last point. Four, my highest is four. Adjusting for uh, deflation. Yes, uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So eight I got when it was a ten rounder. Now so yeah. it's four. Four is my record. So you got Yeah, you got a. This is a difficult one. I've deliberately left this last one difficult because I've got a challenge here. Yeah. This is uh, one of my favorite comedies. Uh, one of probably this director's lesser known films. It is High Anxiety, the, the Mel Brooks comedy, a very very funny film. Do you think that made more mm. or less than fifty million eight hundred thousand at the box office? I actually have no way of. I'm going to guess this because I have no way of even knowing really because. I this is I'm ashamed to say this is one of Mel Brooks ones I haven't seen. Um, oh, yeah, a lot of people haven't seen High Anxiety. I think I think when you talk about Mel Brooks comedies, most people have seen Blazing Saddles, The Producers, maybe Young Frankenstein, and then Men in Tights. Yeah, then in our generation, probably Men in Tights, Spaceballs, and maybe Dracula Dead and Loving It, mm-hmm. um, which is which is a way funnier film than than it gets credit for. But this is <laughs> one of his earlier ones and is very very funny. Okay. Um... I think, I think it's more. I do think it's more. Uh, I'm gonna. I just think that like I don't think this this is after Blazing Saddles. I'm pretty sure. Uh, is it? Oh, I actually don't know. I think no, I'm not sure either. Oh, after the producers anyway. Yeah, I think the I think yeah. the producers was his first big film. I have a feeling Blazing Saddles might have been a couple of years after this. Okay, well, I think that I, th- I kind of feel that he would have had a big hit before this anyway. Um. I'm and comedies are always a crowd pleaser. That's why we all know like Adam Sandler has topped the billion. Um, <laughs> let's go for. Are you, are you saying that Mel Brooks was the Adam Sandler of the seventies? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, hang on. <laughs> Who's that an insult to, Conrad? According to you, uh, it's an insult to Mel Brooks. <laughs> Come on, have you not seen Grown Ups too? Uh, yes, I have. I, I've also I've seen Click and Grown Ups too, and neither of those movies are good. <laughs> But he farted in David Lasloff's face. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen uh, Grown Ups 2, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I See, this is the thing, Conrad. I'm very good at scoping out what's a good Adam Sandler film, what's not. So when people talk about how crap Adam Sandler is, I always think to myself, why did you watch those films? Like, I, I know how to yeah. choose them. I'm only going to watch the ones I, I can see are going to be good. Like, Yeah, anything that, anything that has David Spade in it, I'm immediately like, <laughs> not watching that. <laughs> like, get, just get rid of that. Except for Joe Dirt. Come on, that's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Joe Dirt is quality. Uh, right, okay. I'm going to go higher. Just, just fuck it. Let's go higher. Okay, you're going higher. Unfortunately, it's a bad oh. a bad end. A bad finish. Uh, High Anxiety was one of his lesser known movies. It, it still did okay. It made $31,063,038 at the box office. So not a bad return, but uh, not all that close to a bridge too far which means this is what, this is what i'm talking about conrad sorry just before you go on. go on 
this is what I'm talking about, how weird it is, right? 700 and something million for for Star Wars, and mm. then 30 million for that, 50 million yeah. something else. It really feels like I was right in thinking that all the, the budget, the, the, the box offices are going to be smaller, but there was mm. just a couple of films which did amazingly well, well. That's blockbusters, baby. That's how they work. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why true. everyone everyone wants them. You know, like, if you look at, like, the top grossing movies, for I think most years from maybe 1970 onwards, there's normally like two or three movies right like up there that have just made a stupid amount of money. It's like going viral. It's like going viral. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. But like, and, and you know, this is that those cu- those cultural conversations we were talking about. Would Star Wars: A New Hope have made that much money if it had released on Netflix? We simply no, don't no. know. Well, no, um, it wouldn't have because everyone only pays the same amount of uh, money every month. Yes, that's true. We, and we would have all just gathered around like one person's television and watched it in groups of like 10, so it would have made less than 10% of that, I'm going to say. Uh, that makes your score 3. 3 for this I'm one. It's not that. your best score, but I mean, it's I'm, not bad. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, just before we move off uh, Netflix profiles, uh, my sister-in-law uh, has a Netflix profile, of course, and she lends it to her parents. I was round okay. at her parents round at her parents' house the other day, and I created a new profile on the uh, on, on the on, on the Netflix account, and I called it "I hacked you" with a little X. Um, that was like a wait. Where did half- the X go? Was it in the? Was it hacked? No, I hacked you? you with like a little kiss sign, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's and no one saw me do that, and it's been a week and a half now, and no one has mentioned it in any family group chat or you know, no one's mentioned it. So <laughs> I don't know what's they're probably going on there. they're probably terrified that some some. <laughs> ill-intentioned stranger crept into their home and created a, <laughs> created a Netflix account um, and, and are fearful of what they might do next, so they're yeah. just keeping it under their hats. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, you know, if you will, if people will share Netflix accounts, this is that, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get hacked. You're going to get hacked. I you're technically get... hacked. I did hack her, so... You're going to get hacksawed, as what I thought you were saying. <laughs> you're done with Hey-o! the X there. <laughs> That's not the hacksawing I was talking about, but I do appreciate the segue from Leet Speak into ha- into WWF legend Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, oh. Now, sorry, there aren't any. I was just I was thinking about a segue. Then I was thinking, are there any wrestlers in this movie that we're about to talk about? I don't think there are, but it the fact that it's conceivable that there could have been <laughs> yeah, wrestlers be. in this yeah, movie yeah, yeah. says a lot about the kind of movie we're about to talk about and that is Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead uh, from 1995 it's a schlocky revenge western that's mm-hmm. very very derivative of its of its uh, influences not necessarily in a bad way but it is it's uh, definitely wearing its influences on its sleeve uh, and it is starring Shannon Stone uh, Russell Crowe, Gene Hackman, Leonardo DiCaprio, and an absolutely blockbuster cast of character actors. Anthony, this is the first time that you saw this movie, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How? How? Let's just get right into it. How did you find it? I bloody love this film. I honestly, <laughs> I loved everything about this movie. I, I, I loved the style of the editing. I loved like the angles, the, the cinematography, the sepia tone. I loved. Yeah. I love the crazy cast of characters. R- like, ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> like cast I can't of remember his name, this. but the guy, the magic guy with all the aces. I've oh, a- his name's like Ace something. <laughs> yeah, Ace. Played, yeah, yeah. played by fucking Lance Henriksen as yeah. well. <laughs> like the guy who played Bishop in Aliens, just yeah. like turning up in 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 this to 
to play a ridiculous character. Um, so ev- well, that- all, all like anyone who hasn't seen it, all you need to know before we just start talking about everything about it, all you need to know is that it's basically like a it's a tournament uh, where you challenge people to duels, and yeah. it's uh, in in a, in a western town. And the main character, Sharon Stone, main character, whose name is Alan, has like a troubled past and a p- potential connection to uh, the mayor of the town, Gene Hackman, who plays Herod, very aptly named. Yep, yep. Um, so that's Spot all you symbolism. really need. That's all you really need to know for the setup of it. And mm. the characters are hilarious. So yeah. the the guy I'm talking about, I think he's called Eugene Dredd. Is it no? Oh, maybe that's not him. Anyway, uh, oh, Ace Hanlon. Ace yeah, Hanlon. Ace Hanlon. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Ace Hanlon, the fir- you first meet him, and he's got he's got a pack of cards, and he goes, "This is a very special pack of cards, right?" And <laughs> he goes, "I had an ace for every one I killed," and he like opens it up, and it's yeah. got like I don't know, maybe seven aces. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> yeah. thing about that because it's not all aces. It's yeah. like you think you think it's gonna be like fifty-two aces, or I can't remember how many, how many cards are in a pack of 52, cards. Fifty-two, yeah, it is fifty-two. But it's like seven aces and then a bunch of just regular cards. <laughs> and he's wearing, he's got like this, like he's got facial hair similar to what mine's doing at the moment, actually, like very kind of like pointy kind of mustache <laughs> and wearing like black leather covered in aces. Like he's really yeah. living the gimmick and. um Ah, oh, he's a great character. He's. Uh, I. I thought it was great. The, the cast characters. Leonardo. I. I didn't know anything about this film. I'm going to be honest with you. And I said to Conrad as well. I didn't know how much Sam Raimi had done before. Like Spider Man <clears throat> is obviously. I think people, most people my age. Spider Man is when he first came under my radar. Yeah. yeah. So he's. And also, when I go see a superhero film, it's not the type of film when I watch it, I'm like, oh my god, I need to find out what else that director did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I. I never saw or heard about this. I didn't know until the opening credits that. Um, what, that Russell Crowe or Leonardo DiCaprio were in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was this was yeah. uh, this was pre Titanic, post What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio here, so he he was a relatively big name, but but not the megastar he would become two years later in Titanic. My question yeah. to you about Leonardo DiCaprio is how on earth is he twenty one in this movie? Because he looks yeah. about fourteen, uh, which. Um, makes his implied well i say implied it's not, it's not even implied it's very explicitly stated his romantic relationship with the mid-30s sharon stone <laughs> a little bit weird i have yeah, to say yeah yeah i i to be honest with you, it did feel weird because he looks so young he looks he looks about 14 15 in this yeah. film um but he but the thing is his performance is really really good i i actually mm. like i like him as the kid the young kid who sort of has a bone, to, has something to prove to his dad, who's the mayor of the town, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I think he plays it very well. He's he he is, I, I suppose, at the end, just a part of the ensemble. He like they had to have like sort of a Billy the Kid analog in this, didn't they? Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's he's the probably the most memorable part of it, and certainly, mm. I mean, we'll get into it when we get to spoilers. But I think the movie attempts to give him a bit more of an arc than um than the rest of the the cast of kind of characters really get um yeah and it, it's funny i mean uh, let's be honest here the star of the show is russell crowe's hair in this movie because <laughs> oh mama that's a glorious a glorious Not hairstyle gary Sinesse's hair <laughs> oh gary Sinise. he's just he just pops up in things sometimes. I love the fact that you call him Sinesse and I call him Sinise and we just seamlessly go between those as well just to confuse the audience because yeah, I don't... Is, I, I, do, I will stay Sinesse. I don't know. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's what I want. Um, yeah, Gary, Gary Sinise pops up in, uh, in flashback sequences. He's got great hair as well um, and... It's a good thing that that Russell Crowe's hair is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, lifting because Sharon Stone is 
it is a bit of an ensemble, I have to say. Like, there are a lot of other characters doing a bit of the work. But my word, Sharon Stone is uh, not a particularly interesting character in this movie, at least to me. And I think yeah. she she is absolutely saved by all the other bonkers stuff that is going on in this movie around her. She's very much the straight the straight character, isn't she? And I think... yes. Uh, which you know, sort of, you sort of have to have that for this. I wasn't disinterested in the character; like, I, I bought into her story and everything <clears> like that. I just think that they 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 they're going for like she's obviously filling the role of the outsider um, yeah. who comes into town, but I just feel like they didn't fully commit to that in terms of her costume. I think they I, I think they sort of tried to keep it a little bit. Like I would have loved her them just to take like a black hat cowboy's outfit from a different from from a different film and just put it on her, you know. I think they were they were going yeah. to, you know. I think, but I did like the the costumes overall. But I just think in terms of her character, to add a little bit more intrigue into her, um, yeah, I think she was a bit a tiny tiny bit bland. Maybe I think maybe you're right. Having yeah. said that, if you compare that to like the sort of mysterious out of towners from every other thing, uh, every other western that this is clearly referencing, um. Uh, maybe it was actually pretty much on point in terms of that. Maybe. maybe there's, I mean, there's definitely like a vulnerability to her character that I think is interesting <clears throat> that isn't present in a lot of those kind of taciturn, mysterious gunslingers that roll into town. Um, I think her performance isn't that strong. I don't think, but mm-hmm. you are right. It is kind of like her performance in comparison to a lot of the the westerns that this is this is cribbing from is not it isn't all that bad because a lot of those characters don't really need to do that much apart from turn up and look look tough um and i think it is very clear the influences that this is pulling from so i mean you've got um woody strode who is uh was i mean he was in loads of stuff in the in the 60s and 70s but he he is probably to me most famously from the the introductor uh, introduction sequence of once upon a time in the west who gets mm-hmm. a very brief cameo in this um you get um alan silvestri who you'll know in fact actually i had a question for you about this uh, you'll know him as as the guy who scored uh, back to the futures one through three um and he's very much channeling like his ennio morricone here with a lot of like <laughs> kind of sad sounds in the score um my question to you was is Back to the Future Three score like this? Because I don't remember it. Uh not as no, not as on uh, you know on the nose as this. There, there is okay. there is some very cowboy stuff in that. Don't worry, but they still have the ba ba ba. They still have that yeah. in there. Okay, so it's it, they still keep the 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 through line through all yeah. of them. Keep you know? the motif. Um, yeah. and then you've also got um, I I think they're they're pretty clearly referencing Unforgiven in this, which is a western from 1992 that also had Gene Hackman as a bad guy, making him for me at least uh one of the great western villains between this and unforgiven and and unforgiven also has a character who is essentially identical to lance henriksen in that uh, it's it's played by richard harris in uh, unforgiven who is essentially a charlatan gunslinger who is brutally exposed (laughs) like at some point in the movie yeah yeah, okay conrad i I, talk talk about the gunslingers in general i just want to say to you does Sam Sam Raimi have a case against the creators of the Fast and the Furious? Because the, the obsession with being fast in this film is very that's true sim- similar to Fast and the Furious. Like I can imagine a scene in this in this film where someone's dying and they're like, you know, you're so fast, you know, like just yeah. like in Fast and Furious, it's the exact same, you know. Yeah, I mean, DiCaprio's the kid is obsessed with how fast he is, um, yeah. which is. Um, 
I, I feel like the, um, the, 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 there's a potential joke about his sexual performance that could be made at many points during this movie, and they never do, and it's a shame. Because his character could do with taking down a peg or two, frankly. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other of other characters who talk about being fast. And really, I mean, there aren't too many. I, I suppose Gene Hackman is himself, but but really, I mean, you look at you look at the the, the cast of character character actors in this, and um, and they each have their own kind of weird motivations for things. So we've already talked about you've got Lance Henriksen as the kind mm-hmm. of charlatan ace with the kind of quaffered hair and uh, and fancy look who's actually a bit of a bit of a dick. You've got goddamn Keith David as a hired killer turning up um to to like basically paid by the the residents of the town to overthrow the the tyranny of, <laughs> of Gene Hackman who is just brilliant. Tobin Bell of Saw fame yep, it yep. turns up very briefly. Also uh, looks talk- very similar to the guy who produces the UK game show Golden Balls. Uh, it's like it. Jasper Carrot. Jasper, he looks very much like <laughs> Jasper Carrot. <laughs> I've always thought they were the same Oh person. my god, Jasper Carrot apparently looks like Tobin Bell after he's he- been in the desert for like three weeks. He does, he does. I'm not going to do Jasper dirty like that. I, I mean, I don't. I've got no love for Jasper Carrot, but that's harsh. That is harsh <laughs> on him. Um, Commissioner Gordon, you may have spotted from the the uh, uh, Michael Keaton slash Val Kilmer slash George Clooney Batman movies, is behind the bar in this, which I which I just loved. Um, and um, Mark Boone Jr. plays uh, Scars, <laughs> uh, who I know from Thirty Days of Night. Although I thought it was Josh Brolin at first and was about to lose my goddamn mind before I remembered it was just a thin Mark Boone Jr. But I remember him from Too Fast Too Furious actually saying that he, he oh is he the guy. That? He nearly gets a rat through his stomach. They put a oh of, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, the uh, Cole Hauser, yeah, Cole Hauser's uh, Argentinian villain. <laughs> the less less said about that, the better. Uh, yeah, try, almost uh, almost gets a rat to eat its way through his stomach. Uh, yeah. But, but I mean, okay, we've got to talk about the cast of characters because they are the best thing about this movie, and then we'll get into to, to Sam Raimi's style because you you have to talk about that when we're directing. So I think we'll say yeah, yeah. we're going to get into spoilers. If you haven't yeah. seen The Quick and the Dead, go watch it because this movie is awesome. Um, and we're gonna we're, we're gonna stay here and we're gonna talk about some spoilers. So yeah. you can't you can't really talk about the characters in this movie without talking about Sam Raimi's style because he, you've got his 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 very distinct kind of like vertigo zooms and camera rotations into dutch angles going on all over the place mm-hmm. uh you've you've got fun little touches like keith david's brain flying out leaving a hole behind it as he's shot <laughs> in the head which is just phenomenal um and uh my my I, i'm interested to see what you think of this but my favorite kind of visual i guess it's a gag in the whole uh in the whole film is herod um after he's finally shot by uh by sharon stone's character um you see his his shadow on the ground and there's yeah, just like yeah, a yeah. hole in his chest <laughs> which it's is like, not how wounds work <laughs> like, he would, like, he, he would have to be lying directly above the ground and there would have to be a light directly going through yeah like, how, it makes how it does makes that shadow no work <laughs> makes no sense um and, th- and then it cuts to him and you can just see the whole like the sunlight coming through a hole in his chest um it's just it is phenomenal i i love the editing in this uh, and and the way this movie is shot and it is it's fu- i think you you're probably similar to a lot of people of our generation in that 
um, Spider-Man was probably their introduction to Sam yeah. Raimi. I mean, for me, because I'm a big horror fan, I, I, I was like from a young age seeking out stuff like the Evil Dead movies. Um, mm-hmm. And this is very much very much in line with what he was doing in those Evil Dead movies, but somehow even schlockier. Um and it, it's phenomenal for that. Did you have a did you have a favourite of the favourite death or favourite character from the, the, the uh, crew of gunslingers? There were so there were so many that was that were funny. Um I think the ace guy was probably I, I laughed the most at him. Yeah. I really, I really liked. Uh, I really liked the way he was like bragging about being two-handed, like he could do yeah. just as fast as his right and his left. And then Herod shoots his arm and makes yeah. him do the other yeah. side. Yeah, shoots his thumb off on his right hand and then shoots him through the hand on his left. Hand. <laughs> it's great. It is, it is good. Um, I will actually mention here. I don't know how I feel about this actually, Conrad. I like we're in we're in quite a funny funny mood here, but. I'm going to bring it down a little bit because, okay, even though this is a remake, uh, like, sort of, sorry, this is not a remake. This is uh, inspired by a lot of older films. Mm. I personally was a bit mm, iffy about, like, these days, if, if, a, if a Western is made, they definitely cannot make the like one of the only Native American characters, like, magical. That's like a real... Yeah. That, that, that is a, that's a real sort of... Um, I don't know stereotype that we used to be used in films all the time. Yeah. After yeah. after they actually originally didn't even cast Native Americans in the roles, and then they were like, okay, well, we'll have Native Americans, but they have to play mystics and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I, th- so I that, think you're absolutely this does right. Have, this does have that, and even though it's referring to older films, I still think that they, I still think it's a, like it's ninety five. Like maybe the t- it was a different time, but they definitely. This day, these days you wouldn't see that, you know? Yeah, I, and I think you're right. I think the the movie that this really reminds me of is the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Bloodsport in that you don't get a lot of time to introduce all your fighters, so they have to be really distinct one-note characters. You've yeah. got the guy who's a sumo wrestler, the guy who's like a street brawler, the guy who is like kind of crazy fast and, and jumps around a lot. And that's fine, um, and it's fine in this as well, but it's a shame that the Native American character's one-note is he is Native American and yeah. the the sort of translation of that is that he can't die because he's magical, which is a bit like, it's a bit lame. Like, I don't I have no problem with the character being Native American, but you know, just make him like a badass rather than making him magical. It, or if you bit... want to have a magical, if you want to have a magical Native American, I don't know how the Native American community feels about this. So maybe I'm just speaking out of turn, but if I was thinking about it, like if you don't, if you don't want to fall into the trap of just doing the stereotype, We'll have another character who's Native American too, and nothing like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at least if you're gonna if you're going to have that stereotype in there, you have to at least show that you have more than that. You know, I, mm. why why did we need to have them all of the same race except for like the one black guy and the one Native American? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, at least with with I, I, I suppose to their credit, Keith David's character's race isn't ever really brought up, which is probably for the best. Given, um, I, I believe the the guy write, wrote this was a was a was a man called Simon Moore, and his screenplay is really dealing in surface level stuff. And I think it, it, for the most part, it does a good job of realizing these characters in the kind of shallow way that it needs to, um, and kind of lets the action do the talking for it but mm-hmm. absolutely with uh I, I can't even remember the character's name because he, he's he's not mentioned that much it's he's, he's got like a kind of native like sort of stereotypical native name i think which um yeah. which is again not great but um okay uh, talking about things in this movie that aren't great or that i didn't think were great how did you feel about the sudden emotional scene when the kid dies 
Uh, oh, yes. Okay, so I never actually really bought that Alan, Sharon Stone's character, was, like, really into this kid. Like, no. um, I never I never really bought that. So, yeah, I get what you mean. I, it didn't strike me too much at the time. Like, there is, like, a what I thought was a 14-year-old kid dying, you know. Um, yeah. so I, I was, I was like, I was, I, I didn't want him to die either, but, um, but yeah, there was a lot of, you have to also, are you meaning just Sharon Stone or was there a no, general I, I, I around meant, the town? I more meant just the tonal whiplash, really. Like I, I get oh, what they're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, do, yeah, 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 yeah. but like <clears throat> the, the movie, like loads of people have died at this point in the movie. Yep. You know, Keith David has been bl- like shot to bits, had his head blown off or blown open and, and it's. It, you know, it's played grimly because he's a character who the the townspeople have hired in the hopes of killing the guy who is kind of uh, ruling them as a warlord, effectively. Um, but it's still kind of funny. It's still it's still yeah, pretty yeah. light and fun. And then the kid dies, and suddenly it's like I don't want to die. And like you know, it's kind of like this really like it's. I mean, it's delivered better than that. But I'm not an actor, yeah. folks. That's not you know that's that's <laughs> as good as I can do. It's it's delivered in this like really kind of heartfelt a melodramatic way where I was a bit like mm, I'm not sure you've got the chops to sort of st- suddenly tr- strike this uh, this emotional tone that you're going for it's like the Canto bite in uh, in Star Wars it's like yeah okay it's fun fun Star Wars you don't have to remind us of war's bad uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like that like you know this whole film is about killing people in a tournament we don't need to be told that death is scary and bad we yeah, get, we get yeah. it. like you know we don't we don't need that lesson as an audience. Um, yeah, so I get what you mean. Like it, it was a bit out, out of left field, um, you know. But but the thing is, Conrad, you have to remember he well, he was so fast. He was so fast. He was fast. He couldn't possibly have seen it. Seen it. Uh, he was literally too fast to see his yeah. own death coming. I think that's yeah. what that's what we've learned from this. Um, finally, obviously the the uh, conclusion of a western as is tradition, requires explosions and lots of shooting. Um, and I think this one fits the bill. How, how did you find like the kind of main action sequence that we got at the end of this? Uh, I mean, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of explosions, but you did miss something. It also needs a revelation from the past. And we find out that uh, Ellen is actually the daughter of the former marshal who yes. Gene Hackman killed. And I will say about that revelation, I really loved that the, the revelation that... Like, okay, so this, I, I think a lot of films would have made this mistake. When they were revealing what happened to her in the past, and they had her sh- have to shoot the rope and kill her own father, which, to be honest yeah. with you, you know, sucks to be her. That was a really bad yeah. shot. Um, I, think that's a, I think that's a reference to Once Upon a Time in the West as well, I will just say. So once again, them mm. cribbing, from, <laughs> cribbing from a decent notebook. Okay, okay. So when she, like, was had to shoot the rope to save her dad, and then she failed... They didn't like most films. I think would put a little flashback in there to the time at the start in the in the tavern where not tavern. What do you call a saloon in the saloon <laughs> where um, my, my head's on D and D here. Yeah, that's in, great. Yeah. In the saloon, whenever whenever she had to shoot the rope to save, uh, was it was it Court himself? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was Russell Crowe. She saved him. So it was a. Fl- a lot of films would have done a flashback there to show you why why that's important in her backstory. Yeah. I actually quite liked like the reversal of the meaning in it. You know what I mean? Like we already saw her succeed earlier in the film. We didn't have to be reminded about it because we already saw it. And I and I actually genuinely like that. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point because that's a moment for her character which 
on completion of the movie uh, actually gets more gains more weight because you know that she's failed to do that once and uh, and she killed Gary Sinise because of it um which is uh which is a shame it would have been nice to see Gary Sinise in this movie well I guess we did see him in this movie would have been nice to see him alive but um we saw I an mean, image of him in in uh, Sharon Stone's head we didn't actually see the real one but yeah. uh but yeah, I actually, I actually do think that the explosions were great. I like the the uh, the end. Although my favorite kill in the whole film. Now you were talking about what my favorite character was, so maybe the ace guy. My favorite mm. kill is whenever uh, Gene Hackman gave the guy twenty seconds to leave town, and then turned around and shot it. Like he, he continues on with the scene, and you forget about it, and then he just yeah. takes a gun, turns around, and goes "Time's up," and shoots him from like a hundred <laughs> meters away. <Yeah. laughs> There's a lot of good stuff like that in this, to be honest. Like, and it's 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 always. It's very, very heavily stylized, and you can see, um, you can see a lot of like Edgar Wright. Um, I mean, I know that Edgar Wright is a big fan of Sam Raimi, the guy, guy yeah. you know, did the the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, but you yeah. can see a lot of like their comedy in this, in the way that you know they'll they'll start a gag and then they'll go do something else and they'll come back to it, and because it's been left so long, um, it it becomes even funnier. Um, well, yeah, I can even gag, see. I, I can see a bit. I can even see a bit of uh, influence from this in, um, in like uh, Scott Pilgrim, for example. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like you enjoyed that. Um, oh yeah. What we're we're, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to rate it because it's the first time you've seen it. Um, so to remind everyone at home, uh, half stars are for cowards. We'll be rating this out of five. Anthony, what would you give The Quick and the Dead? So I gave this film. A- so I gave Reminiscence 2, I gave Us 3. I'm giving this 4. Okay. Actually, I think this is a better film. I like this really, really, really a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, it, this is a difficult one for me because I, I, I'm i always caught up on the core performances of Russell Crowe and Sharon Stone not being very good. <laughs> so I end up giving this 3 stars. But in in the letterboxed parlance, I give it 3 stars but with a like because I know it's like there are flaws in this movie, but the, yeah, the yeah. bits that are good are really good in this movie, um, which... If you haven't seen it, first off, what are you doing still sitting here? Go watch it. It's on Netflix now. Um, I didn't and... know that. I, I rented it on Amazon Prime. I'm, I was too lazy to check Netflix. No. I'm, idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I should have pointed you in the direction of it. Well, <laughs> there you go. The, you're you're going to be the, the number that's just ticked over in the box office for the quick of the dead. <laughs> yeah, Sam, Sam Raimi's going to get a check for $1 through his door and be like, what the <laughs> fuck? Who's paying for the quick of the dead in 2021? Yeah, yeah. And it was you. Yeah. Um, Happy to give it to him. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah he, glad of the business i'm sure he is as well okay well that's going to lead us quite naturally to uh answer one question as we always do and that is anthony what is your favorite movie this week superman with gene hackman is less lex luther oh great you're in a gene hackman villain kind of mood i see oh, yes. excellent um my favorite movie is once upon a time in the west which is basically this movie but it less fun uh, I, think, yeah. I think that's safe to say um, thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song you can find a link to their stuff down in the uh, description below and thank you to you for joining us please consider subscribing we are The Culture Cave on YouTube and the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps yep that's what those are called uh, give the show a like get involved in the comments it really does help and we will see you same time same place next week Draw.